Welcome to the FATN Talking News, covering the Surrey and Hampshire borders. This is the Farnham and Hazelmere edition, sent out in the post on Memory Sticks and published online at www.fatntalkingnews.org.uk. It's edition number 2685 for the week ending Saturday the 16th of March 2024. This edition covers Farnham, Hazelmere, Hindhead, Liphook and surrounding areas. It'll be followed by issue 401 of the FATN magazine for the month of March 2024. Additionally, after the magazine, we've included some suggestions for this week's radio and TV programmes from the Talking News Federation. And finally, a copy of this week's BBC In Touch programme. Well, this is a very unusual recording, I'm afraid. And as a result of circumstances beyond our control, there are only two of us here. So I'm Christine Stewart, and with me reading is Darren Clayton. Hello. And our engineer is Mike Payton. Hello. And we welcome this week two new listeners, Mrs. Susan Stewart from Hazelmere and Mrs. Sylvia Green from Hindhead. So we hope you're going to enjoy this and all the future recordings. Now, if you want to listen to a specific item, this is track one, and in addition to this introduction, it contains the lead stories. Track two is what's on in the local area, and then there are general news stories on track three. We've got letters to the paper on track four, and then more general news stories on track five. Track six is the local death announcements, and the final set of general news stories are on track seven. And that just leaves us with track eight, the local sports report. For our lead stories today, Darren has got one about a consultation on hospital services in Hampshire, while my lead is about an attack on Jeremy Hunt's constituency office. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to Darren. Thank you. There's been a consultation on a £700 million hospital, which is coming now to a close. The public consultation is for investing between 700 million and 900 million in hospital services across Hampshire, and it closes at the end of this week. The consultation will run until Sunday, March the 17th, and during that time, patients, local people, and H staff will have their say on proposals which include building a new specialist acute hospital in Basingstoke and the refurbishment of Winchester Hospital. The consultation has included a variety of face-to-face and online events. Dr Laura Alloway, Chief Medical Officer, has said, It is only by listening to our patients, carers, staff, local people and partners that we can make our proposals as good as they possibly can be. An independent research company will now analyse all of the responses, including what has been heard at the events, focus groups and in telephone surveys. They will then develop a comprehensive picture of the views of those who have responded. The consultation report is due to be published later in the year before a decision-making business case is developed. Chancellor and South West Surrey MP Jeremy Hunt has said that he won't be stopped by a few idiots after his Hindhead constituency office was graffitied on the eve of the budget. The words, die Tory scum, were painted on the office at Tilford Road in a vandalism attack that was discovered on the morning of Tuesday, March the 5th, the day before Mr Hunt delivered his budget to the House of Commons. 
Vandals are believed to have targeted Hunt's Hindhead office on the evening of Monday, March the 4th, with police later called out to the scene. Speaking to the Express, Mr. Hunt refused to be deterred by a few idiots. He added, The British people are famously tolerant, which is why we have one of the most robust democracies in the world. Political opponents have also condemned the attack and have said there's no place in society for such actions. Julian Spence, Lib Dem Waverley Borough Councillor for Hindhead and Beacon Hill, said, At a time when there's much talk of rising extremism, there must be no hesitation or uncertainty in condemning the vandalisation of Jeremy Hunt's office in Hindhead. We're fortunate enough to live in a liberal democracy where there are many peaceful ways to express our disagreements with politicians of all parties, not least at the ballot box. There should be absolutely no place for such criminal acts of violence in our society. The highly critical graffiti has since been removed from Hunt's office windows, but the attack has led to changes in the way the office operates. A notice posted on the office doors says visitors must now make an appointment due to heightened security risk to staff. Surrey police have confirmed they are investigating reports of criminal damage at the property. Now an issue close to my heart. This is the level crossing at Farnham Station. I'm looking at a picture of the level crossing closed, the road closed, red lights everywhere. And this is because of a crash. So headline is crash causes chaos. Farnham Station level crossing is expected to remain closed until Saturday, March 16, after a skip lorry crashed into the barriers. The crash caused chaos on road and rail in the morning rush hour. Last Thursday, several trains were cancelled and motorists were forced to detour. And there is only one other road from the south into Farnham. Train services quickly resumed, but the level crossing has remained closed to traffic and repairs remain undertaken by Network Rail. It's understood the repairs have been held up by delays obtaining a replacement level crossing boom. Probably not very hard to get hold of. A spokesman for Surrey County Council said the works are being carried out under a road closure for essential and immediate repair to a barrier due to a lorry crashing into it and the works are expected to be completed by March 16th and if I could add this was followed by a bus which broke down on Tuesday this week in Downing Street causing carnage and uh, the interest was that Lizzie from Lizzie's sweet shop was the one guiding people around Lower Church Street so they could avoid the bus so it's all happening in Farnham at the moment. And I wonder if she was handing out sweets at the same time. She wasn't when I was stuck in the queue that was caused by the accident. Anyway, I've now got an article accompanied by a rather lovely painting of leafy woods and a path running alongside a canal, which is a very nice painting, but unfortunately the story is not so quite so happy. Leisure activities on the Basingstoke Canal, such as boat hire and camping, could end because they're not financially viable. The 32-mile-long Basingstoke Canal was jointly acquired by Hampshire and Surrey County Councils in the 1970s to manage risks, protect the canal, and provide public recreation. It's a site of special scientific interest, and due to its hydrological biodiversity and effective management of its ecosystem, it's home to numerous nationally scarce species of flora and fauna. 
The Basingstoke Canal Partnership was established to fund the canal operation following restoration in the late 1980s. The partnership includes a number of riparian partners like district, borough and town councils that contribute financially to the running of the canal. In 1990, county councils for Hampshire and Surrey as landowning authorities created the Basingstoke Canal Authority. Under the arrangement, Hampshire employs the staff, provides IT and finance support to the authority, and Surrey manages the visitor centre at Mitchett. According to a recent report, the current arrangement is not financially sustainable. In 2023-24, the cost of the canal required a draw of £192,000 on existing reserves to cover a shortfall in income. The canal is funded by the landowning authorities and the riparian funding partners. However, some have indicated the reduction or withdrawal of their contributions, like Woking and Rushmore Borough Council, which confirmed it was pulling all funding in 2023-24. Due to the withdrawal of some funding, the two landowner authorities commissioned an external company to review management and recommend a sustainable operating model. From the five alternatives, the chosen one indicated that the Basingstoke Canal Authority will continue to deliver statutory requirements and leisure navigation. However, under this option, the authority will no longer deliver activities such as boat hire, camping, running the visitor centre and other events. That seems a bit of a shame. I'm going to speak now as Jeremy Hunt. It's more substantive than his office, so forgive me if I don't sound like him. But why child benefit changes are so vital is his message. And last week, of course, was an incredibly busy one because many of you will have seen I delivered the budget in the House of Commons. It's one of the biggest days in the parliamentary calendar. And for the Chancellor, work literally started the day after the autumn statement. With the economy now turning a corner, we can focus on long-term growth and on bringing down taxes to make it competitive here in England alongside modernising public services. Now, you may have seen that I announced a 2% cut to national insurance, which, when taken together with my measures from the autumn, means that 27 million employees will get a tax cut of an average £900 per year. That is about the same amount that the state pension is going up. As I announced in the autumn that we are sticking to the triple lock, this will be guaranteed. The Office for Budget Responsibility says that the national insurance cuts bring the equivalent of 200,000 workers into the economy and boosts gross domestic product. I also announced more money for the NHS, which constituents know is an institution I care deeply about. We have already provided record funding for it, but I announced an additional £6 billion, including funding for a productivity plan produced by the NHS, for example, for improvements to MRI and CT scans, so patients can get their results faster. But one of the most important, if complex, measures I introduced was that less talked about, changes to the high-income child benefit charge. The current system is hugely frustrating for many parents locally who see their child benefit claw back when the salary of 1% rises above £50,000 per year. 
and announced that from April this threshold will raise to £60,000 and that the top of the taper at which it is withdrawn will then be raised to £80,000 because the current system is not fair on single earner or joint earner households. The Office for Budget Responsibility says that raising this threshold will increase the number of hours amongst those already working by a total equivalent of around 10,000 people entering the workforce. More hours worked is good for economic growth, which is in turn also good for our public services, and that is the fundamental part of our plan for the economy. Well, I'm moving on now to something rather different. It's an article about an event which is aimed at helping people with dementia. A Pilates instructor put the Petersfield mayor through his paces at an exercise group for people affected by dementia. Councillor J.C. Chrissy joined Beth Savrovska's active dementia class at Winton House Centre, High Street, on Wednesday the 6th of March. The initiative started a year ago with 90-minute sessions on the first Wednesday of the month. Beth has been a dementia friend for a decade and often runs individual sessions for people with the condition. Her classes help both people with dementia and carers while emphasising movement and socialising through exercise. Dementia Friendly is one of the Mayor's charities this year with Councillor Chrissy keen to get involved. Around a dozen participants pretended to swim, play rugby, throw balls and danced to Do you think I'm sexy? The answer to that question is no, said Councillor Chrissy, who threw himself into the class. Taking part in this was a must as my father died of complications after 16 years of having dementia. I wanted to make sure Dementia Friendly and its subsidiaries are supported. I found this session very exhilarating. You can see how these things are so positive for everyone involved. Sue Buxey from Horndean called her first session fun and a good workout, while her daughter, Pauline Clark, is sure they'll return. She said, I was searching on the internet for something exactly like this that we could do together, but also to get mum moving. She used to do a lot of keep fit, so it's been nice to get out and do something like this. Another important article here is about 999 calls. We're being told they're answered more quickly. Surrey police have seen a dramatic improvement in how long it takes to answer calls for help after new figures reveal current waiting times are the lowest on record. The force was graded inadequate in December after a watchdog found it was answering just 77% of 999 calls within 10 seconds, below the national target of 90% and nearly half of the 101 calls to the force were abandoned at 47% of total. Meanwhile, the average time in February that it took Surrey Police to answer calls to the non-emergency 101 number fell to 36 seconds, the lowest wait times on force records. This compares to 715 seconds in March 2023. In December last year, a report by His Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire Service, it's easy for you to say, highlighted concerns around the service respondents received when they contact policemen on 999, 
101 and Digital 101 calls, and they rated the force's performance in responding to the public as inadequate and said improvements were needed. But Surrey Police and Crime Commissioner Lisa Townsend said the issues last year were caused by staff shortages, putting an incredible strain on Surrey's phenomenal call handlers. She added, This has not been a quick fix. We have seen these improvements sustained over the last five months, and with the measures now in place, I am confident going forward that Surrey Police will maintain this level of service when responding to the public. And I've got an article now about a planning application which has stirred up quite a lot of controversy. McDonald's has amended its planning application to build a 24-hour drive-through restaurant within the Tysis Meadow and Tongham Ponds site of nature conservation interest adjacent to the A331 Tongham services. The revised plan attempts to address many of the points raised by objectors, namely that the restaurant would constitute inappropriate development in the countryside and loss of open space and would have a negative visual impact. McDonald's has amended the layout of its proposals as well as submitting amended travel and management plans. It's also conducted an archaeological study as requested by the Surrey County Archaeologist and addressed some of the objections from the Surrey County Council's Highways Department. The planning application has been reopened for public comments until March the 19th. However, the Tysis Meadows Bird Group, whose volunteers help manage the Tysis Meadow Nature Reserve in Badshot Lee, say McDonald's has still failed to address concerns relating to the negative impacts on biodiversity and from contaminated land, odour, light and air pollution, noise, flooding, inadequate parking, litter, traffic and highway safety, as well as proximity to other drive-through restaurants. It says McDonald's has also neglected to address concerns raised by Surrey Wildlife Trust that they have failed to recognise the presence of many protected and important species and habitats on and adjacent to the site, and that they failed to take into account the Tongham Pond Site of Nature Conservation Interest. More than 5,500 people have now signed a petition launched by the Tysis Meadow Bird Group against the plans, and Guildford Borough Council has received 137 public comments on the planning application, 133 of them objections. Objectors include Surrey, Farnham, Rushmore and Tongham Councils, the Campaign for the Protection of Rural England, and Badshotley Community Association. So obviously not a popular development at all. That brings us to the end of track one, so it's time to move on now to track two and what's on in the local area. And of course Easter is coming up, so I've got some Easter-themed events that might be of interest to you if you've got children or grandchildren that you're going to need to entertain. First of all, Gilbert White's House and Gardens in Selborne is gearing up for an egg-sighting Easter event that promises to be one for the record books, scheduled between March the 23rd and April the 14th. There'll be an egg hunt with a difference. There are some brilliant birds in the world, and on this year's egg hunt, you can find out all about them. You, or more likely your children, can hunt for ten eggs hidden in Gilbert White's garden and match the birds named on the eggs with the amazing facts given. Anyone who matches all ten can claim a chocolate egg. That's worth doing then. 
The house and gardens will be open throughout the Easter break, including Easter Sunday and Monday. And on April the 5th, the museum is hosting a Spring Explorers Day, a day of activities for 7- to 12-year-olds, enjoying the grounds of the museum in spring through scavenger hunts, sensory activities, games and crafts. And then moving on, Prince's Mead in Farnborough are bursting with excitement to bring you an extravagant celebration. From March the 27th and throughout the holidays, you can join them for an unforgettable Easter experience tailored for the little ones. They invite you to step into their enchanting indoor garden area adorned with Easter-themed decorations. You can capture precious moments with adorable baby safari animals crafted with faux grass and providing the perfect backdrop for memorable family selfie. And there are a couple of photographs here of these animals. One is a giraffe and the other an elephant. They do look rather fun, actually. They look quite large um, and they are obviously very green. They'll be located around the centre, so you must make sure you visit them all. Um, on Saturday, March the 30th, the festivities kick off with free children's face painting sessions from 11 till 1 and from 1.30 to 4. So plenty going on there for the children. Now, for something different, how about an evening out at a brewery? You can expect a brilliant night of epic belly laughs live from Langham Brewery on the 30th of March with comedians Jerry Kay rising comedy star Ben Ashurst and Channel 4 award winner Alan Francis. The brewery will also be hosting a number of guided walks throughout the year. Events include family activity walk on the 5th of April, bird watching walk designed to take in lots of different bird habitats on the 13th of April and polo picnic and pint walk, that sounds a bit more interesting, on the 25th of May. And the brewery Fun Dog Show, supporting canine partners, on the 20th of April, will celebrate all things for paws and waggy tails, with doggy demos, stalls and tombolas. So that's at the Langham Brewery, which is between Midhurst and Petworth. And if you've, if you've had a night out at the brewery, you might then be ready to brace yourself for something truly spectacular. Forbidden Nights is celebrating nine years of muscles, mayhem and more than 11,000 shirt rips at the Camberley Theatre on May the 9th at 7.30. I've not heard of these people, but they, um, well, the photograph here makes them look rather interesting, I can say. The show is not only hot, it's hilarious. It isn't just a typical show. You have to get ready to dive right in and interact like never before. You can sing along from your seat or go all out and book a stage pass for the ultimate experience. That is if you want to be confronted by um, men with naked uh, torsos. Uh, each ticket includes a free meet-and-greet cast photo opportunity and tickets cost £31. So that's a little bit different. Uh, moving on to rather more sedate activities at the Farnham Maltings. Uh, we've got some music on Sunday the 24th of March at 6 o'clock. There's Will Todd's Mass in Blue, which is being paired with Chilcott's Little Jazz Mass. And that will be accompanied by the Will Todd Ensemble. So that's Sunday the 24th of March at 6 o'clock. Tickets cost £15 or £17 if you buy them in advance. And if not, £20 or £22 on the door. 
And then on Tuesday, the 26th of March, at 2 o'clock, there's the Met Opera Romeo et Juliette, and that will cost £15. So if you want tickets, you need to ring 01252-745-444. And sticking with music at the Harlington Centre in Fleet, on Friday, March the 22nd, there's Rock for Heroes, uh, tickets for that cost £27 if you want to sit down and £24 uh, for standing. And then on Saturday, March the 23rd, there's the Ultimate Tribute Show, Pop Gods of the 80s and 90s. Tickets for that are £20 and you can get tickets by ringing 01252 And even more music, this time at the Prince's Hall in Aldershot. From the 19th to the 23rd of March, the Cody Musical Theatre Company are presenting 42nd Street. While on the 28th of March, there's 80s Live, the ultimate retro concert. Tickets for that cost £30. Um, I'm afraid there is no price for the tickets for 42nd Street. But if you're interested, you can ring the box office on 01252 Three two nine one five five, and then finally at the Yvonne Arno Theatre in Guildford, there's a song for Ella Gray, a darkly romantic tale singing of the madness of youth, the ache of love, and the near impossibility of grasping death. It's apparently a story based on the Orpheus myth, and that's on on Tuesday the 19th until Saturday the 23rd of March. Tickets from £12.50. And then from the 2nd of April to the 6th of April, something very different again, the School for Scandal. That's Sheridan's School for Scandal. Tickets from £14 onwards. And the box office number for the Yvonne Arno is 01483 So that's it for what's on. I hope there's something there that's been of interest to you. We're going to move on now to track three and some more general news stories. So I'll hand you straight over to Darren. Thank you. Well, moving on from fast food, I think now to slow food, or you might say from the ridiculous to sublime, let's talk cheese. Because a family cheesemaker has taken over local artisan company, It's a cheese company based in Harriet near Alton and it's been acquired by fourth generation family cheesemakers, Butler's Farmhouse Cheeses. Hampshire's Cheese Company, a multi-award winning artisan cheesemaker, was founded in 2005 by Stacey Hedges and it's amassed a legion of fans, in particular for Tumworth and Winslade, two expertly crafted continental-style soft cheeses that are revered among some of the UK's leading chefs, Michelin-style restaurants and premium independent retailers. Now, These much-loved cheeses also brought it to the attention of Butler's Farmhouse Cheeses in rural Lancashire, which has invested significantly in its soft cheese capacity in these last two years. Now, Butler's is now the largest independent soft cheese maker in the UK. Stacey had just said, This is an exciting next step in the journey of Tumworth and Winslade. As part of the Butler's Farmhouse Cheese family, I am confident that our cheeses will be able to reach even more people. I am so proud of what we have achieved as a team in the last 20 years. Matthew Hoare, fourth generation owner at Butler's Farmhouse Cheeses, added, 
the quality and reputation that Stacey and her team have established for Tunsworth and Winslade is something we will be proud to nurture with their loyal customers. Over the years, Stacey has shared our mission to drive the British cheese renaissance in the UK, and we are privileged to bring Tunworth and Winslade into our family to continue on that journey and get more of the amazing cheeses being made in Britain to more people. Butler's ownership of Hampshire Cheese Company is effective immediately. Well, some news now about the Phoenix Theatre in Borden. They may have long disappeared from cinema screens, but the Barbenheimer battle still rages on in Borden, judging by plans to revamp the Phoenix Theatre and Arts Centre. An exhibition was held at Station Road venue to gauge comments on a major refurbishment. The biggest talking point was the colour of a possible new entrance canopy, with Barbie pink or Oppenheimer army green dividing opinion. Somehow I can't see it being pink, I don't know. Minor changes will be made over the coming months with repairs to the roof, electrics and plumbing all planned, along with an overhaul of the auditorium. The canopy is the most visible part of the revamp, but the real focus is on improving accessibility with entrance improvements and a lift installation all part of the plans, funded by close to half a million pounds of developer contributions. We're still in the puns here with Parking Mad. Villagers halt controversial permit scheme. And there's a picture of a number of bungalows here with a sign, Parking for Hyde Residents Only. And next to that seems to be a controversial sign, which we can't read, but I will tell you about. Because up-in-arms villagers have successfully halted the implementation of a contentious parking permit scheme by a housing association. Stuart Wyman, a resident of the Hammerhill Estate in Lynchmere, was surprised to find Hyde Housing had erected signs outside front doors in January, warning anyone parking without permission and without a permit would incur a £100 fine. Concerned, Stuart highlighted the challenges faced by elderly residents who lack online access required for obtaining permits. Additionally, visitor permits were limited to 100 per year, which also posed problems for social interaction. And Stuart said, in this day and age, where we are constantly reminded of mental health issues, that face from elderly and that face from loneliness, I find this to be appalling behaviour. Residents voiced their grievances to the Parish Council and Chichester District Council, prompting Hyde Housing Association to actually retreat and pause the initiative. The association expressed regret for any inconvenience caused, but emphasised the need to address safety concerns with residents and local authorities. Well, my next item um, is about a rather innovative idea for children's books. Imagine a new kind of children's book, one that a child actually contributes to themselves as the story's illustrator. That's the vision behind Bryden Books, a children's publishing firm launched by Farnham's Ali and Ed Bryden. Ali and Ed want to inspire kids aged 3 to 12 to play, explore and create through a program of interactive picture books, activity books, novelty and non-fiction. To get their dream off the ground, they launched a one-month Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign on February the 29th to help fund the printing and initial distribution of their first series, Draw This Book. Draw This Book is a series of 32-page, 
hybrid story activity books that contain a narrative tale, but most of the pictures are missing. Young readers must draw themselves as the main character and then set themselves off on an adventure throughout the pages. The first two books in the series are Pirate Adventure and Animal Party, publishing this spring, with two more titles to follow in the autumn. Founder Ali said, One day I had an idea to create a series of children's books that are fully interactive with the reader, where the child is encouraged to collaborate and make their unique mark. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a storybook that the reader could illustrate, helping the author tell the story through their own pictures? That thought became Draw This Book. Bryden Books, as a publishing company, grew from that one spark of an idea, and I do think that's rather a good idea. I'm looking at a rather attractive house, and this is the house where George Eliot wrote. It's a double house linked in the middle, and it seems to be more Georgian to my eyes, but actually apparently it's from the 1600s. So it has gone on for sale, as an aside, and if those of you who had 1.65 million were wanting to bid, it's too late, it's gone. But let me tell you about it. Across the UK, people celebrated all things literature on World Book Day. But for someone in Hazelmere, every day is now about to be a book day. Because Cherryman's, a seven-bedroom home, built in the 1600s, has just gone under offer for this £1.65 million, which is a small price to pay where history was made in your own home. In 1871, Marion Evans, better known by her pen name George Eliot, was writing Middlemarch. And she and her partner, George Lewis, were living in Hazelmere and stayed at this house while she wrote her masterpiece. In the letter, Eliot says of her stay, We enjoyed our roomy house and pretty lawn greatly. Imagine me seated near a window, opening under a veranda with flower beds and lawn and pretty hills in sight, my feet on a warm water bottle and my writing on my knees. We dine at two and at four when the tea comes in, I begin to read aloud. About six or half past, we walk onto the commons and see the great sky over our head. We fill our evening with physics, chemistry, or other wisdom of our heads are at par. If not, we take to folly in the shape of Alfred de Musset's poems or something akin to them. Now, when Rebecca Mead was researching her book, The Road to Middlemarch, she said, this must be the most vivid picture Eliot ever gave of herself in the act of creativity and the least anguished. She sounds contented, comfortable and self-aware. does sound rather a nice way to spend a day, actually. Well, my next item is looking forward to the next general election. It's about the new parliamentary candidate for the Labour Party for Farnham and Borden. A Farnham barrister with a very apt surname has been selected as Labour's prospective parliamentary candidate for the general election in Farnham and Borden. Alex Just, who's 38, was nominated unanimously by the Farnham and Borden constituency party and endorsed by the National Labour Party on Tuesday. The new Farnham and Borden constituency will also encompass Hazelmere, Liphook, Greyshot and surrounding villages when it comes into being at the general election later this year. Mr Just lives with his wife and three young children in South Farnham and his eldest son goes to a local state primary school. 
He works as a barrister in London and has led campaigns against local education cuts, to tackle the Riverway sewage crisis, and to stop the expansion of private jet flights at Farnborough Airport. The Labour hopeful said he is determined to capitalise on his party's significant lead in the national opinion polls, and believes the recent boundary changes, which bring together communities in Surrey and Hampshire, make it possible for Labour to win. He added. Labour's overwhelming lead in the opinion polls has propelled us into second place in this entirely new constituency, within a few votes of winning. We're on the brink of a historic achievement here. It could be the first time in over a century that our community can send an MP to Westminster who's not a Tory. With the backing of local voters, I'm determined to be at the heart of a Labour government that will begin the task of fixing broken Britain. Mr. Just said his priority will be to get the future back for our children, and to work for the people of Farnham and Borden, who have been taken for granted by Tories and Lib Dems for far too long. We've come to track four now, so that means it's time for letters to the paper. We've only got one letter, and Darren's going to read it. So straight over to Darren. Thank you. This is a letter from James Dean of Hogarth Close, Petersfield. And it's taking a clear position is his problem. Um, it was almost a cornflake spluttering moment, he said, as I read a piece in the Petersfield Post on the 7th of March concerning the recent budget vote at EHDC. Now, out of sheer curiosity and intrigue, he says, I find myself turning to the pen to express my bewilderment regarding the recent decision by some local councillors to abstain from voting on the budget. This is after months of deliberation, preparation and not the least formal scrutiny. Whilst it is understood that councillors may have differing opinions and perspectives, abstention on such a crucial issue surely raises questions about their commitment to representing the interests of their constituents. As elected representative councillors have a responsibility to make informed decisions and take a stand on behalf of their constituents, Abstaining from a vote on a budget, of all things, undermines this responsibility and raises doubts about their commitment to fulfilling their role as public servants. Perhaps time to reconsider their approach and demonstrate the leadership and accountability that the community expects and deserves is needed. By taking a clear position on important matters such as a budget, they can fulfil their duty to represent the best interests of the people they serve. Well, we only have that one letter, partly because virtually all of the letters this week in the paper were on the same subject and expressing the same opinion, so obviously a controversial issue there. So now we're going to move on to track five and some more general news stories, and I'm going to kick off this time with another one about a planning application. Planning permission has been refused for a funeral building at a new Muslim burial ground backing onto Farnham Park. Waverley Borough Council's Western Planning Committee dismissed the plans for Iman Gardens off Hale Road on Wednesday last week against the advice of officers. The Ismaili Trust had applied for a building of exceptional quality to create a special place for families to say goodbye to loved ones. The application included car parking for 180 mourners, with the vast majority expected to travel from London. 
but a cross-party motion proposed by Conservative Councillor Carol Coburn and seconded by Farnham residents John Ward saw the plans thrown out. The refusal notice states, The proposed building, due to its size and scale, together with its ancillary infrastructure, would affect the openness of the site, impacting on the character of the area. The proposal would therefore be contrary to the Farnham Neighbourhood Plan and Waverley Local Plan. Something a little more cheering here is that the uh, school has received £8,000 to spend on laptops, announcement has been made, and this is pupils at a village school near Petersfield who become part of the IT crowd thanks to the handout from a council in the county. Councillor Russell Oppenheimer recently gave the Friends of Sheet School a £1,000 grant to help with the cost of new laptops. Every county councillor has given a pot each financial year to spend on groups and initiatives, with Councillor Oppenheimer dishing out 11 grants worth £8,000 in total within his Petersfield hangers patch. The Petersfield Shakespeare Festival, Music Festival News Theatre also received funds to help towards event costs, whilst further money was given to Ropley Parish Council and Steep Film Society and Steep and Stroud Newsletter. He said, I'm in the habit of publishing my grants list for the year once it's closed, and this is for the sake of transparency, and I also make efforts on every occasion to spread the grants around the Petersfield Hangers Division. The new grant round for the next financial year opens in June, and I'm always happy to discuss potential applications. My next item is accompanied by a number of rather interesting photographs. It's been an exciting month at Alton Camera Club. Member Wendy Davies' image, Victorious Festival 2023, has been shortlisted in the music round of the London Camera Exchange Photographer of the Year competition. Wendy's image will be displayed at the upcoming photography and video show at Birmingham's NEC, and the results of the competition will be announced this Sunday, March the 17th. There was also exciting news for club member Renee Smith. Her image, Lombrello Rosso, has also been selected for display at the photography show, this time by She Clicks. She Clicks is the fastest-growing photography community in the UK and is aiming to raise the profile of female photographers. They've recently been awarded the Amateur Photographer Community of the Year Award for 2024. Competitions-wise, last month saw the third round of the club's Print League competition, with marks of 10 awarded to Tony Cole, Kelvin Perry, Barry Clark, Lynn Harles and David Quick. It also held the third round of its print challenge competition on the theme of stripes. Judged by Tim Clark, he was so impressed with the images on show that he awarded full marks of 10 to 10 images. He awarded first place to Andrew Sorrell for an image called Refraction, second to Tim Higgs for Don't Stand on the Stripes, and third place to Renee Smith for Ready for Summer. And as I say, I've got some of these photographs here. Um, the first one, the Victorious Festival 2023, which was shortlisted for the photography and video show in Birmingham, I have to say I'm not an expert, but I'm not really sure what is so striking about it that it deserved that, and I, 
I probably shouldn't say that. It's a black and white photograph, um, and it's taken from the back of a crowd of people. They're obviously at some kind of music festival. Uh, they're jumping up and down and clapping their hands, and the stage is just a blur of light. I'd say it looks very much like many other photographs of such events to me, but who am I to judge? The one that I think is a rather nicer photograph is Lombrello Rosso. It's quite an interesting one. It's taken in an underpass with a large puddle in it. It's very gloomy and dark. And on the left-hand side of the picture, there are some steps leading out of the underpass with some people walking up the steps. And coming down is a woman uh, with a light-coloured coat and a red umbrella, which is masking her face. And her image is reflected in the puddle at the base of the underpass. It's quite an artistic-looking one. But the best photograph, I think, and I'm struggling to see whether it's a photograph of a real glass or whether it's a photograph of a picture, but it's refraction on the subject of stripes. And the background is blue and white diagonal stripes. And in front of these stripes, there is a glass of liquid uh, with a pink straw coming out of it. And the stripes are all refracted and therefore they've become not circular, but um, they look as if they're in motion is all I can say. I can't describe it very well, but it is a very striking photograph and I think certainly deserved to win. Moving on to entertainment again. Um, this is a short article, but I think looks like something that would be great fun. And this is the friend, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air actor to star at Guildford's Yvonne Arnold. So this is a big ticket actor starring at our local theatre. And this is the TV star, film star and stage star Joseph Marcel, who's going to head the cast of Sean Aden's new production of The School for Scandal at the Yvonne Arnold in Guildford on Tuesday the 2nd to Saturday 6th April. Now, the theme is that Sir Peter Teasel, whom he plays, believes his young wife is sleeping with someone else. She isn't, but she thinks, perhaps if her husband believes it, she may as well have it go. After all, if you're going to cause a scandal, you may as well enjoy it. Now, Joseph Marcel, who's probably best known for his role as Geoffrey the Butler in the six seasons of the NBC sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, is going to play Sir Peter Teasel in this fresh take on Richard B. Sheridan's classic comedy of manners. And there's a picture of him holding hands with his younger wife, looking very enamoured. Both of them, but perhaps one less convincingly than the other. And if you are interested, for more information, you can contact the box office at the Yvonne Arnold on 01483 And I've got another article with another photograph. This one is about Eubanks Auction House in Surrey, which is unfolding a four-day spectacle of masterpieces by two of Britain's leading marine painters of the 20th century, among other treasures from across the globe next week. One of the stars of the show on March the 21st is a Norman Wilkinson oil on canvas featuring a view of HMS Bulwark in Valletta Harbour, Malta. Commissioned by the makers of senior service cigarettes, this signed painting, accompanied by a colour print of the same subject, is estimated to be worth £1,500 to £2,500. Wilkinson, a Cambridge-born artist celebrated for his marine scenes, boasts a prolific career with over 500 exhibitions and a legacy displayed in institutions like the National Maritime Museum and the Royal Academy. 
Harold Wiley, son of the renowned marine painter William Lionel Wiley, shares the spotlight in this maritime extravaganza. Two of Harold's marine scenes, including a commission for senior service cigarettes, will be up for auction. Notably, HMS Raleigh, leading the last squadron of the Royal Navy under canvas in 1899, assigned oil on canvas, is estimated at 700 to 1,000 pounds. Another masterpiece, the signed oil on canvas depicting HMS Alert on an Arctic expedition, is expected to fetch between 800 and 1,200 pounds. Adding a touch of diversity is the work of Sir William Russell Flint, famed for his idealised nudes. Antonia, a reclining nude in Flint's signature coloured chalks, signed and framed, is available with an estimated guide of 700 to 1,000 pounds. So if you know anyone interested in art, they might want to pop along to the exhibition and to the auction. Music now and some complication for me to read. Guest, pianist and conductor for the orchestra's grand shows. The Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment is visiting the Anvil in Basingstoke on April 5th and April 18th at 7.30. On that day, the orchestra will be joined by conductor Maxim Ali Anchev. Forgive me, that's the best you'll get. The programme begins with Glinka's fizzing and exuberant overture to Ruslan and Lummiller. The opera captures the essence of Pushkin's magical poem rooted in Russian fairy tales. This is followed by Rachmaninoff's The Rock. It will also be followed by Grieg's much-loved music, Peer Gint. Finally, Sibelius's Fifth Symphony will feature, and on April the 18th, the orchestra will be joined again by pianist and director Sir Andras Schiff. The Mendelssohn program starts with Symphony Number no. 1, followed by Piano, piano Concerto Number no. 2, which shows many of his strengths as the dramatic first moment gives way to a lyrical and tender slow section. The irresistible, exuberant Italian symphony apparently ends the evening, capturing the young composer's excitement on his first visit. Well, that brings us to the end of Track 5, so we're going to move on now to Track 6 and the death announcements. Bailey Roy passed away peacefully aged 95 at Gorseway Care Home, Hailing Island, on the 1st of March, formerly of Dunsfold, Milford, Headley and Linford. Blackman, nay Everett, Margaret Josephine, sadly passed away on the 17th of February, aged 86. Chivers, Graham, of Elstead, died peacefully in hospital on the 21st of February, aged 83 years. Coonan, Jerry, it's with great sadness that we announce that Jerry passed away at home with his wife Yvonne on the 1st of March. Brian Curley Cross left us on the 31st of January. Crossan, Carol, passed away on the 3rd of March at home, aged 79 years. De Mello, Maggie, passed away peacefully on the 3rd of March, aged 85 years. Harvey, Dr. Catherine, known as Moya, passed away peacefully on Wednesday the 14th of February at Waverley Grange Nursing Home, aged 95 years. Jones, Stephen, passed away on the 7th of February, aged 66 years. 
Maury Christopher John passed away peacefully on the 22nd of February, aged 90 years. Penfold Peter John, 95, beloved husband of the late Mary and of Margaret. I'm afraid there's no date of death given for him. Newman William, known as Sid, Sid passed away peacefully on the 27th of February at Steep House Nursing Home, aged 90. So those are the deaths, and we're going to move on now to track seven and the final set of general news stories. I'll hand you over to Darren. I'm looking at the moment at a rather ironic photograph. It's a young fox um, who looks fantastic, but unfortunately around his neck is some form of cardboard, and he's been recovered by the RSPCA. So although he looks wonderful, sadly his plight is not. And apparently there have now been more than 200 reports of animals trapped in litter locally. So this is the RSPCA. They've received these reports, and it's about animals found severely injured, trapped, mutilated, choked, or even dead from discarded litter in Surrey over the past four years. Surrey is ranked amongst the counties with the biggest litter problems in the UK, with a total of 213 reports to the RSPCA from 2020 to 2023 alone. Nationally, the RSPCA received an average of 13 reports per day last year, from May to August. Crundle Primary School was officially welcomed into the Waden Multi-Academy Trust family on March 1st. The single-form entry primary school is the first Hampshire school and the first primary welcomed into the Farnham-based trust. John Winter, chief executive of WMAT, said, Crondall have a set of values and a vision that aligns with that of WMAT, and we're confident this partnership will be collaborative and beneficial to all. The head teacher, Joe Leatham, and all the team at Crondall have a wealth of experience and will bring a valued new dimension to WMAT, opening up the possibility of working with more schools in the primary sector as we realise our ambitious growth plans. The addition of Crondall School takes WMAT to eight schools, four secondaries, three special schools and one primary, as well as the I2I teacher training centre. There are fears that a sewer won't be fit for purpose if new homes are built. This reverberates on earlier articles. A sewer that serves a growing south of Butzer village is no longer fit for purpose amid plans for more housing, according to one resident. Villagers have expressed concerns over plans that could see another 180 homes around Clanfield and North Horndean. The EDHC plan, effectively a blueprint for the future of the district, has suggested an additional 100 homes should be built in Clandon by 2040. The village has seen significant development in recent years, with more than 500 houses being built off Green Lane alone. Residents are especially concerned about the impact of housing on the South Meadows, as flooding is a regular occurrence already on South Lane. People who attended a local plan open day were also unconvinced by claims that the flood risk can be mitigated and fear the current drainage system won't cope. 
One resident whose husband actually laid the Green Lane sewer in the 1960s said she especially fears the current system is no longer fit for purpose. Well, frustrations are growing in Petersfield Town Council as the waiting goes on for a D-Day verdict on a landmark redevelopment. Plans to revamp Festival Hall were lodged nearly two years ago, but PTC is still waiting for a verdict with ongoing fees and increased rates taking their toll on finances. A decision is expected soon, but Councillor Chris Page has threatened to escalate things if a verdict wasn't given before the next public halls committee meeting in April. The worry about the financial impact of the wait was aired during Monday's meeting as the cost of improving the council chamber has leapt by 5.7% to £282,000 in close to a month. And if it's only taken a matter of weeks for that bill to rise by £15,000, then what will be the impact on the project expected to well exceed £20 million? A very good question. Hazemere-based App Art has presented its Easter art exhibition and sculpture trail. Each year it invites a prominent artist to open the annual Easter art exhibition and sculpture trail at Priorsfield School in Godalming. This year, international sculptor Jonathan Haitley has agreed to do this and exhibit some of his organic figurative sculptures. And his latest sculpture, Karma Seas, cleverly reflects the ripples and waves of the sea in the figure's dress. There are likely to be 800 artworks on display, including paintings, sculpture, glass, textiles, ceramics, batik and photography. App Art is supported by leading artists from the local area and has acquired a reputation of being a gallery of high quality and affordable art. App's exhibition will take place from March the 30th to April 13 at the school, that's Priorsfield School in Godalming. And I'm looking at an exhibit called Standing Proud by Susie Lidston. Incredibly hard to describe but worth a go. It's quite beautiful. If you imagine a painting, close painting of a robin, Robin standing on a branch, but instead of being bark coloured, it's bark plus lots of coloured aspects to it, like lichen or lichen. And behind a waterfall, really, of different colour, principally red tones that match the red breast of the bird. So I'm moved to describe it because I'm very impressed. Well, the Rotary Pilgrim Marathon is one of Farnham Wayside Rotary Club's best fundraisers, and a special dinner was held recently to distribute the funds raised to a variety of local charities. All of them helped with the organisation of this successful event last September, which relied so much on supportive volunteers. Representatives of all the organisations involved spoke briefly about how the donation would help their work, which overall created a moving portrait of the good work and goodwill which exists in the local area. The charities involved were Bell's Peace, Farnham Scouts, Huckleberries, I Choose Freedom, Phyllis Tuckwell Hospice, Simon Trust and the Woodlarks Centre. The 2024 Rotary Pilgrim Marathon will take place on September the 8th and Farnham Wayside is seeking volunteers to help ensure the event continues to be a success. I'm sure it will be. 
Well, that brings us to the end of our news stories. So we're going to move on now to our final track, track eight, and the local sports report. And I've got some football, some hockey, a little bit of rugby, and some athletics for you. Starting off with football. Farnham Town extended the perfect start in Cherry Red Records' Combined Counties League Premier Division South to 25 wins out of 25, with a 2-0 victory at Camberley Town on Saturday. Manager Paul Johnson wasn't impressed with the state of the Crooner Park pitch, but was happy to come away with the points. He felt Farnham were spurred on to continue their incredible run by a combination of the fear of it ending and the desire to extend it. Johnson said, it's a bit of both and they thrive on it. There's definitely no pressure from me or the club. They broke the record and they just keep going. We just want to win the league as quickly as we can. And it sounds as if they might be set to do that. Moving on separately, Badshot Lee lost 1-0 at second-placed Marlow in the pitching in Isthmian League South Central Division on Saturday, thanks to an 87th-minute goal from Nahir Omar Nawaf. Moving on to hockey, Oldshot and Farnham's first team romped to a 4-0 win away to Oxted's second eleven in the South East Men's Premier Division last Saturday. A simple cross-across goal found Will Kane unmarked to tap home and put the guests 1-0 up. Then a move forward down the left saw Johnny Groves pick up the ball inside the D and square it to Josh Frost to tap in to make 2-0. In the second half, Stu Moorhall won the ball on the right, found Paddy Cradden at the second attempt, and Cradden sped away from the Oxted defence, drew the keeper, and slipped in Weston, who walked it in for 3-0. Oldershot and Farnham's fourth came from a 16-yard hit. An Oxted defender's botched aerial rolled straight to Groves, who again squared the ball for Kane to lift it high over the scrambling keeper. So well done, Oldershot and Farnham. Not such good news on the rugby front for Farnham, though. They travelled to Chichester with a scratch side for a hastily rearranged fixture on Saturday in hope rather than expectation. And clearly that was the right approach since they finished 36-22 down after a game of many ups and downs and quite a few penalties courtesy of fouls by Chichester. Now moving on to athletics, three runners from Aldershot, Farnham and District took individual medals when representing Surrey in the UK Inter-Counties Cross-Country Championship at Nottingham on Saturday. James Dargan won a silver medal in the under-20s men's race, while Naomi Walmsley also picked up silver in the under-13 girls event, and Kitty Scott earned herself a bronze in the under-15 girls section. So well done to all of them. Well, that concludes this week's edition of the local news. This month's FATN magazine follows. After that, we've added TNF's TV and radio suggestions. And finally, there's a copy of this week's BBC In Touch programme, which you may find of interest. Meanwhile, it's goodbye from Darren. Goodbye. From our engineer, Mike. Bye for now. And from me, Christine Stewart. Goodbye until next time. Goodbye.